Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. Jamie, we have not been together in a few weeks. It, it feels, feels like, like it's been a really long time. I mean, we, we talk all the time, but we haven't recorded in a few weeks. We've been kind of just, we took like the, the, the new the holidays off and just kind of let this podcast sail by itself. And um, <laughs> it's been really fun. And now, we, now we're officially a year past our one year anniversary of the podcast. So happy one year anniversary. Happy anniversary, <laughs> Core. This has been um, such an amazing time. Um, yesterday, I was on a work call, and um, now that I have my mic, <clears throat> excuse me, my mic set up, uh, you know, one of my coworkers says, oh, are, you look like you might be a part-time podcaster. And I was like, I, I certainly am. Um, and it is, it, it's, amazing the bonds we can create through this um and he you know he shared about a loss that he recently went through and um i just feel very connected to him now <laughs> and i feel like that has been you know it's been a year of connection nice. uh, a year of sharing a year of learning and i i couldn't be more grateful to our guests and to our listeners because it's been absolutely magical heartbreaking all of it. <laughs> it really has. And you talk about the connections. And of course, we have those people we, we start to meet or we, we uh, kind of gain, but also just our guests. Like, I think there's more than two or three handfuls of guests who I still talk to almost uh, weekly and who we still keep the connection with. And some of them are like, hey, we want to start a podcast. What should we do? And so it's nice to be able to share our knowledge with that as well. Um, and it's been really good just. Uh, you know, we, our podcast started in grief for us, our experiences. And, um, back in November, I lost my grandfather. And as it turns out, I lost my grandma, um, earlier this week and, uh, they were together, they were together for over 60 years and they couldn't stand to be together, to be apart for a few months even. So, you know, that was really sweet. And, um, to be able to take what I learned here, um my they're not having a service and i don't uh, that's fine and i because i i sit in my car and i go through like what i'd want to say at a funeral and i tell these stories and i keep coming back to all the things i learned in this podcast about my grief and how uh you know we, we tell people to process it and or not tell them but how we we talk about processing it and everything so it's been really really impactful um but anyways very sorry to hear that Corey. uh yeah no it's 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 i i'm at peace right now. I'm sure some days I'll be a wreck about it, but you know, it's, it's okay right now. Um, and, uh, today, uh, our guest is actually somebody we've had on, had on our list for a while. Um, and we finally made the stars align and everything is going to just be smooth sailing today, hopefully. So, um, please welcome to the podcast, uh, Emily Bingham. Hi there guys. Thanks so much for having me. So Emily, you and I met, I, I, it's probably been almost a year ago. I want to say probably in March or so, but uh, we met on TikTok and I jumped in one of your lives and I, you were talking about your grief story. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is someone who, uh, who we need to have on the podcast. And uh, it's been cool because usually when we have a guest on the show, it's, hey, come on the show. Sure, we'll be there. Then we talk and we have to try to build a connection that that you know can be built in five minutes before we start recording but you and i we've kind of talked a little bit here and there over you know over the past year and been able to see like your grief journey and where you're taking this process has been really uh, interesting so um i do I, I think it's gonna be a great episode no pressure at all uh, it's more pressure on us because <laughs> we've been doing this yes. for over 40 episodes now but uh before we get into the story of your grief, you do so much. Um, you have this program called Move Through Grief. Now, what is that? So yeah, Move Through is the company that I started with my um, after my husband passed away. And um, basically the foundation of it is how to cope with grief through movement. That's kind of what it started out as. I would teach spin classes. I'm also a fitness instructor. <laughs> and so I would, awesome. teach, yeah, I would teach like spin classes in a dark room and like turn on music that had a lot of like vibes and we would just get into our feels and like release all of this like grief and emotions that we'd been storing. Um, so that's kind of what it started out with. 
out as, and now it's evolved into a whole online coaching business where um, I hold several different grief groups for people at different stages of their journey. And essentially it's about learning to embrace grief, um, learning to feel our feelings and embody our emotions instead of fighting them. You know, we have so many stories about how like it's bad to be sad. Like, you know, you shouldn't get angry. We're not supposed to feel these like bad emotions and you know, feelings are just feelings. They're all relevant is kind of my philosophy. So just helping people access the pain in a way where they feel safe, supported and empowered um, to discover the love in grief because grief really is love. It's the unexpressed love, right? The, no, yes, no. that's that's that Andrew Garfield quote that yes, blown up I the internet. It. <laughs> it's so good. So um you have a really great self-awareness about your grief and how to, and I'm sure that you still have things to learn, but um, did you, let's, we'll kind of transition into your, your backstory a bit, but did you have this, this knowledge and awareness of grief um, before you went through it? No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. So let's, 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 let's talk about, 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 um, that, right? about yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Like, I feel like I've read, I think it was David Kessler who, I look up to, he's a mentor of mine and I've done my training with him is that he says like, you don't choose this community or this type of profession, like the community chooses you. And it's yes. so true um, because yeah, like life was great. I wasn't worried about, you know, grief or cancer, terminal illness, hospice, any death. So, so yeah, I just got really curious about learning about grief and finding ways to support myself um and some of it was intuitive like the exercise component because I have I come from a fitness background um but then you know as I started learning more about grief in the body I read the body keeps the score um you know I, I was a little bit more intentional about it and I was like wow this is actually why I feel such a release and why I cry when I'm lying in shavasana is because grief and emotional trauma are stored in the body and so it just gave me that context yes yeah. Yes. I, I um, had a similar experience where I, I was crying all the time during yoga and um, I actually had my, my chiropractor explained that to me because um, it was also part of when I started doing chiropractic, um, they, you know, explained that you're going to start releasing emotions that you didn't know. So it's, it's interesting that connection, but um, for those of us, you know, those that are listening that do yoga that feel those feels. Um, hopefully now they know where it's coming from. <laughs> yeah, it's all right there. Like our mind isn't the only place, our brain isn't the only place where we're processing this. It's all throughout. Um, so yeah, and then as once I started my business, I wanted to make sure, you know, I was sharing my story to the, and guiding people to the best of my ability. But then I went and I actually got like a certification in grief education and was really, which was really helpful because it took me out of my own experience of loss and really, um, really, really solidified how unique grief is for everyone. Um, and I think that's such, you know, we constantly say there is no right or wrong way to grieve, but to really embody that and feel that in a way where you're not judging yourself takes a lot of trust. <laughs> Let's talk about your husband a bit. Let's, let's talk about that kind of that process, you know, and how, how long was your husband sick for? So Ian actually was diagnosed. Um, we were on a break <laughs> in our relationship. So he had graduated college. He, he went off to pursue his career. I went to grad school and I, I believe he was, um, sounds so bad, but I think we were like 24 at the time when they discovered an eye tumor and, um, and that's kind of what ironically brought us back together is I think we were both like, wow, we really love each other. There's a chance that like in this distant, I don't know, like future that, that cancer might be looming, but we still were in such denial that that could act, that Ian would actually die from this. And so we, you know, I actually married him knowing that he had cancer. Um, and then it didn't metastasize until um, August 2017. So yeah, it was a pretty big gap that he had it and we thought we were good. It was kind of in the background and then it metastasized right after I was pregnant, found out I was pregnant with my son. Oh. 
And yeah, I mean, too, like, and with cancer, I mean, in a lot of cases, you know, um, cancer is one of those things that people are like, okay, well, at least, you know, there's a chance that we can get past this and it'll be okay. You know, there's, there's, um, my mom passed of Lou Gehrig's, you know, where there's pretty much once you're on the trajectory, it's just how long until the end, you know? Um, but so I'm sure you had some hope there too, you know, that even if something did come down the road, it was going to be manageable. It was going to be okay. Yeah. It just seemed like it was like one tumor. Like how could this, I don't know. We just, I just, I think both of us were so young at the time and it was almost like, we weren't willing to face the facts. We were both like, we're just going to live our life. And that's kind of the mentality that we approached it with. Well, it's interesting because, you know, like my dad or Ian's mom on our wedding day, they were like, that was just such a meaningful and like bittersweet ceremony. And I was like, really? Like, I don't think he and I really even noticed it. We were just like young kids in love and like, I don't know, like it just, it was, it just seemed so far off and just, it was there, but we weren't going to let it stop us from, I don't know, loving each other, marrying each other and creating a life together. But then when it metastasized that, like that made us kind of really pause. And, um, it, it that required an entirely different mindset. And we were, but we were in the fight then. I find it very interesting how, um, age plays a big factor in all of this as well. And, and, and in the mindset and I I'm I'm very happy for you um that you guys were able to be young when when you could you know what I mean um but it's like it's also like interesting that like you remember everybody else's sentiments and 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 we don't pick up on those things until we've been through them Totally. And I think that's why their perspective came out that way because they're older, they've been through, you know, losses, they've seen other people with cancer. And um, it's just, it's just very, very interesting when age, age is a thing as well. It's so true. I mean, like Ian's mother had lost a sister to cancer. My dad's a doctor. Like they, they saw the reality of the situation, whereas we were kind of just like, we're in love and that's all that matters. And we weren't thinking about anything else. Um, and, I, and I do think that there is a healthy tension um, that we have to hold in these situations between um, denial and acceptance, right? Like we need some denial to continue to move forward and to keep hope and then acceptance of the reality that you could be facing your final phases of life and how do you want to spend that time and how do you want you know what are your wishes after you pass and so all of those it's kind of like that delicate balance oh totally and one thing i think about too is um once you got to the point where you realize where, where it, had, it had metastasized and life got a, a lot more real for you um the grief is just really compound because you have your own personal grief to deal with mm -hmm. a process what's happening he he's going through and something, being pregnant i mean pregnant yes <laughs> and he's going through something where you know he he has to process his grief as a person who's experienced it and then you have of course the kids who have to exist and you have to help them process their grief in a way and and like, like you said, you, you didn't really know, like, you didn't have the grief wherewithal you did now. So it was probably just a big old mess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I think we were so focused on survival yes. um, that, that we didn't process a lot of the grief and I'm still going back to process and work through what that time meant for me, because like you said, there was so much going on. Um, and I think Ian was really in denial of the fact that he was dying. I don't think he, I don't think he ever accepted the fact that he was dying. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a regret of mine. You know, I wish that we had had some of those harder conversations. Um, and at the same time, like I tried and he pushed back and it was his journey and mm -hmm. I'm willing to accept that. So um, yeah, it's, it, it was crazy. <laughs> I'm already with the waterworks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now you, so uh, uh, how, how long from metastasizing 20 passed away? 
So um, it was a it, general prognosis for uveal melanoma is about six to nine months. Ian survived about 15. Um, and I honestly believe that it was his positive mindset and his just like drive to continue to fight. Um, I mean, he endured so much, all of us did. Uh, and in that time, there were moments where it was really bad and he would get really sick from his treatment. Um, but there were also times that the cancer like illuminated just how precious life is and how we don't know what, when, when is the end. Yeah. Um, and for all of us, for that matter, right? Like we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. And that's something that I try to remember now moving forward in life is that none, nothing is guaranteed. So how can I make the most of the now? And um, that was really like our approach during that, that whole time. So yeah. we made some really amazing memories and we endured some really hard times together. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's and that amazing. Really, that's amazing. Sorry, fifteen months is like wow. Yeah, it was it was nice because it gave me I think time. Now that I'm in the space of helping others um, with their grief, I think you know there's so many different factors that affect the way that we grieve, and a sudden loss is very different than an anticipated loss. And um, you can still have an anticipated loss, but they go so much faster, and that still creates its own sense of trauma. Um, for me, I've had to grieve my life during that time. I had to grieve the fact that we couldn't be at like this young family of four going to the beach and doing all the things. And instead it was Ian and me in hospital rooms, like a lot of the time <laughs> um, with my kids being taken care of by my parents. And so, and I'm still dealing with that grief um, and anger of not having that time in my life together. So yeah, it's just, it's just different, I guess, for, for everyone. It really is. Every journey is different. And, um, you know, like, like you said earlier, you know, just it's embracing the feelings and we always say like, feel your feels, you know, and, uh, as long as it's not hurting you or, you know, try not to let yourself get buried in too badly, but, you know, feel what you need to, because it's that, that emotion is there for a reason. Yeah. I think people are so afraid of the pain though, and just being consumed by it or that if they go there, it'll never stop. And so how do we create safety around that for people? Um, and it's like a D what I really try to work on is like deconstructing these beliefs that we have about pain and why are you so afraid to go there? And then, I mean, there is something very real about getting like deregulated too, where you can't literally like, come back up to the surface. But again, that's why movement is so powerful. Um, yeah, they talk about it in Body Keeps the Score. Um, Peter Levine, who's like the father of somatic therapy, he talks about how animals in, um, in the wild, when their fight or flight response, when they're like under attack, their fight or flight response, can, you can sometimes get like stuck or in a, caught in a loop. Um, and so they have a built-in mechanism where they shake in order to snap out of it so that they can mm. respond. And I guess humans don't have that. And so we have to be, if we're, if our fight or flight response is stuck in a loop, which so often happens when we're under a lot of stress, um, when, you know, you get in that negative thought spiral of like, oh my gosh, this is my life. I can't believe this. Um, I'm so broken. What's wrong with me? I can't move forward. Like all the thoughts we literally have to break, like move our bodies to break that up. So, yeah. Yeah. And something that we forget about when we're in the throes of it is that when we do like feel our feelings and, and release and cry that there's relief. There is. Um, <laughs> there's always relief, it, there's relief in that. Yeah. yeah. They, Paul Dennison, who does grief yoga, he says that you're your emotions need motion. I mean, the, I, I believe that the definition of emotion is energy in motion. And so it's, it does, it, you, you, I love a good cry because I feel like, oh my God, all that weight is gone. And like, I feel so calm and connected and yeah, absolutely. And the same with like anger. It's like, after you shout, you're like, damn, that felt good. You know, like hopefully you're not- <laughs> 
releasing that on someone but like it's, it's so get it out like otherwise you just feel so tense and like your blood's boiling and you're like oh well it's kind of like and i to preface this i hate roller coasters i actually like i, I don't enjoy roller coasters by any means but you think about like the you know the the just the, uh, the ascent up the hill like your your emotions are so like building building and, and then once you hit that that drop like everything just becomes you know like whatever it is granted i don't like roller coasters so but <laughs> i do notice that like when um i for me to cry and i'm not a, opposed to crying and i try to openly teach like my son like it's okay to cry but yeah. for me like just because i've been pre-programmed for so long you know by toxic masculinity or whatever it is or outside forces not to cry but one it's so hard for me to get to that point but once i do like i just it drops i'm like just a big sobbing mess and it feels so good i think that's so interesting Corey. too is that like even though you willingly and i want to cry like you're open to it you said that it takes a while to get to that point and i think it's because some of these um like these thoughts and these beliefs are so programmed within us. It's almost like subconsciously that we're stopping ourselves from them and we're not even thinking about it. So again, like how do we get like out of our head and into our bodies to just allow for those feelings. And sometimes for me, like I'll have to turn on music and intentionally be like, all right, I'm going to be sad because I can feel, you know, my grief kind of my unprocessed grief showing up as irritability or, um, you know, a lot of people get it in their bodies. Like they get, get like back aches or they get, um, like I have a client who's like, she's like, oh, my back has been bothering me and it's, it's the grief. And because she likes to bright side every situation, she's like, oh, but it's okay. Like I don't need, you know, and it's like, no, just lean into the pain, like feel it and release it. Um, anecdotally, this is kind of a little tangent, but my mom, when she passed, uh, uh, she was a Christian. So I had a lot of religious, like, you know, um, influence in my life. And I still have that to an extent. Um, and when uh, she passed, like I was the happy one, not the happy one, but like, I was the one hugging everyone, being the comforter. Everyone's like, Oh, are you so okay? I'm like, you know, it's okay. She's all right. You know, she's in heaven. And, um, and I thought that was my, the end of my grief story. Yeah. And then I was right. like, Hey, it's like, like that, that wasn't so bad, you know, like let's move on. And then a year later we had at our church, um, I play in the band and we had someone who passed away of cancer. And I remember playing drums and looking over at the casket and seeing this man who was a sweet old guy, but just covered in tumors all over his body. And mm. it triggered me like super bad. And so I was supposed to be really, I was supposed to be going to my college classes after that. I was like, professors I'm not coming in today and I went to the grave site and I cried for like an hour and a half just like non-stop I was like driving there and like crying and actually I pulled over to the gas station to like cry a bit and my friend was like hey Corey you were swerving on the road are you okay I'm like um he was behind me somehow I was like uh, I'm fine yeah go away but like so I mean but once I did that like it was just a whole big mess and it felt so good but what I was going to say is I think that goes back to how everyone grieves really differently. And like for you at that age and for whatever reason you said, you know, she's in heaven, we're going to be, she's fine. Like you, you, they call it like bright siding, but I honestly, I mean, that's a way of giving the pain a cushion. And I did the same thing too. And like, um, we, something we talk about a lot in my grief groups and David Kessler dubbed this in his book, um, finding meaning the sixth stage of grief is is how do we create new meaning out of these losses and that happened really early on for me because i was so open to sharing about my story so i would post on social media and i'd get instant validation from people being like oh i'm so sorry or i would always like kind of look for the lesson and whatever i was going through and share that and they're like wow this is helping me so much so very early on i was like okay ian died it's awful. And I'm also like helping so many others and I'm learning new things about myself. And I'm, you know, like it, it felt like I was finding the silver lining, which I know some people when they're grieving early on, they're like, I don't want to hear anything about a silver lining. So it really can be different for everyone. So now my work though, is recognizing that you know, that's just who I am. Like I, I'm an Enneagram seven. Do you guys do Enneagram stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, they're like the ones who are like really positive. And so it's just like, it's just easy for me to go in that direction. And it, it made my 
loss more manageable. And I, I, I have everyone in my, my grief group take this test so they know like where they go. Cause a four really cool. is going to, they're going to be in the fields a lot more. And so approving of that experience for yourself and then knowing like where, where like the potential pitfalls. So for me, like knowing that it's easy for me to be like sunshine and rainbows out of something really bad. Like I also bypass pain. So I have to like really go back and be intentional about letting the pain in and feeling that so that I don't have a bunch of unprocessed grief. And yes. so that story kind of just reminded me of, of how we all just like, we're all trying to, I don't know, to navigate this in the best way that we can. And there is no right or wrong, but it's like this process of getting to know yourself. Like grief is such an invitation to get to know yourself too. It's such a funny thing you say that because um, I'm an Enneagram too. So my story makes a lot more sense. I'm like, oh wait, this is exactly what I did. Yes. You're like worried about everyone else, right? You're like giving around hugs, like being there. I love that. I'm, I'm a close second to a, uh, it's a two and a six. I'm pretty like neck and neck with those two. Okay. So, uh, okay. That's such like great that, awareness though to have, right? Now I'm like, whoa, mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> right. And now you have an opportunity to look at the places where, you know, where your, your negative tendencies are and work on those. Exactly. Yes. I love it so much. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. You're really speaking Corey's language right now. Um, <laughs> I, I never even heard of Enneagrams before Corey, and I still to this day cannot remember what number I am. Even I think yeah. you were an eight. I think you were an eight or a one. I can't remember. Nice. One, I love of, the it. Two, one of the two. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, you go through this big grief process, and then how long after he had passed did you start move through grief, or how did you start to look yeah. at that stuff? So right after, like six months after Ian died, I, 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 I like remember this. So there, I just feel like there was a major shift around that time. Cause I like the fog had kind of lifted for me and I was like, all right, like what now? Like, what do I do? And that was also around the time that I started to date and um, I hired a coach more of like a goal coach. Cause I was just like, I just don't know what to do with my life. I was like, I don't, I was a stay at home mom, essentially. Like I, I kind of quit work after I had kids and someone's like, I don't know, like, how am I going to make money? Like, what am I going to do with all this? And like, Ian didn't have life insurance. And, um, so, and I, I didn't want to go like a, a nine to five as a solo mom is really hard, yes. um, for like childcare. And like, my parents have been incredibly helpful, but that's a lot to ask of them. And so, yeah, I just went to this like life coach basically and was like, I, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And I, <laughs> I also felt really jaded about everything. So, um, I had been really enjoying helping other people. I, I had been enjoying sharing my experience and hearing that it was helping people online. And um, that had given me tremendous meaning. So I kind of, we just got curious about how to marry that with my fitness background and move through because I had been using fitness to cope. Like that had been, movement had been my medicine. Like, yes, I went to talk therapy and it was helpful enough but like I needed more, I needed more to find that, to get into those feelings, like Jamie was saying, and to feel that release. So we kind of just came up this, with this idea of how to marry the two and move through was kind of born out of that. Um, so yeah, right around six months, I started drawing up like the vision for that. And then we launched it in December of 2019. And then January 1st, I had like my, or in that January of 2020, we had, um, we, we had my first ride, which was at my local spin studio. I invited everyone to come and, um, I asked them to come and ride in honor of a loved one or someone that they knew or to come and honor and support someone that they knew. And it was just, just a really emotional event where, yeah. Cause you know, like loss and struggle and hard stuff like connects you I think it connects you deeper than the the light and fun stuff you know because you just know you like walk into that room you walked into that spin room that day and no one had to say a word and you knew exactly that everyone had like been there felt that felt a level of like loss and grief and that's pretty cool it's beautiful yeah it's like heartbreaking but beautiful <laughs> what's what's true for you it was probably like the same thing that's true for us too is that um as we do this show um this podcast we we always find like our love for people it never we always think about like okay this is the point like you know where this is where we hit our threshold of hearing stories or connecting with people or 
or doing this or that. But then probably like with you with spin class, like you find your love for people and your heart for them and their situation just grows and grows and grows and grows. Absolutely. And it's been cool to kind of just bring um, the new perspectives and lessons that I've kind of gained from this experience and trying to, to share that even in a, like, I still teach spin. It's not associated with move through per se, but like, I do kind of share these lessons and these themes because they are universal for just any type of hardship that you're enduring. It's so amazing. And so, and, and your certification, what is that again? What is it called? It's called a grief educator certification. And it was through David Kessler, who I love. I mean, he is like the grief expert. You guys probably have heard of him. Um, yeah, we've heard a few times mentioned. We probably should look at that class. Yes. <laughs> Jamie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's, um, it's a 12 week program. I don't know when he's offering it again, but um, yeah, it's, I, I just love his work. I think he has such a, a nice like approach where he's very tender and, um, you know, I, I, and gentle and he, but he also like plants the seeds of like hope and inspiration. Cause I think sometimes when you're in so much pain and you hear like, Oh, grief is love. It can be like, that's bullshit. Like, I, yes. like <laughs> right now, like I can't get out of bed and you're telling me that like grief is love, you know? Um, <laughs> so like it can just, he, I just really love the way that he, his words and his approach is just, it's really supportive. Sometimes I feel like I'm too much, like I'm too like happy for like people who are in their early stages of grief. And that's something that I've had to like think about in the way that I want to talk with clients and my approach on social media. But I'm also like, I actually went to my therapist because I was like, well, I don't know. I feel like some of the work that I'm doing is kind of holding me back in my own grief journey. Like there's, there's new layers of grief and healing that I'm kind of interested in as well. And so like really trying to get clear and separate the two has been, um, you know, a unique process yeah. in itself. I was going to ask you that question, um, you know, how you cope with um, everybody else's grief and, and, and what you've learned about separating those two and how that works. Well, what I learned in that training is that you don't necessarily need empathy and that's hard if you're an empath, but when you're talking to someone in a grief group, it's like, all right, I'm not here to take away their pain. I'm not there to absorb it. That is their pain. It's how can I be compassionate and how can I help, you know, witness, validate, and if they are ready, accelerate and kind of guide them to that like next um, phase of whatever that may be. And that could be as simple as being like, you know, approving of where they're at, approving of their anger, approving of their being, like people always say, I'm so stuck. Approve of being stuck. Because if you keep saying you're stuck, then you will get stuck. stuck. But if you can just recognize that grief slows us down and sometimes that pause is there for a reason, you know, like it's saying, pay attention, be with this and be still, be stuck. Um, So- yeah, I feel like it gives you a, like um, your experience and your certification. Now it gives you a lot of like self awareness too. And I'm, do you ever are you ever hard on yourself though with that? Like you're going, okay, I'm doing this. I know, I know this is this is a, this is a, a rookie mistake. You know, I should be doing this way. Do you ever <laughs> ever feel that way about how you process <laughs> things? Um, like yes and no. I think for me, it's what's hard. What's hard for me is like there's just so much information. And the more like consciously aware you become, it's like, holy cow, like there's just so many layers here. Um, And it's just like hard to trust, like even in, it's hard to trust that you know what's right anymore because when you're breaking patterns and habits, it's gonna feel uncomfortable, right? Like our body goes to comfort, but discomfort doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that you're in a process of change. And, and so, it's that unlearning too. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's just confusing. And sometimes I'm just like, oh my God, just stop. Like take me back to when I was 18 and life was so much easier. And I just like fell in love and got swept off my feet and had some babies, call it a, call it a, you know, success. <laughs> um, it's, it really is a true grief journey for you because you've had all these tent poles in, in your life that have, you know, it's, you know, uh, uh, marrying him, knowing something might happen, something happens, you know, him passing, you go through that grief process, you 
starting to move through grief, you gain the certification, and then now you're at this next phase of your life where you're you're dating on a on a probably a, a more stable, uh, stable ground. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I dated on unstable ground in the beginning, um, and you know, it, I got my heart broken a couple of times and it was good. Like, I'm so grateful for those experiences because it really taught me to learn to be alone and to love myself and to kind of, um, yeah, just like to step into my self-worth and my identity. And I don't think that would have happened had I like found someone I fell in love with right away. Um, I also think it's presented its own challenges because in that process of like loving myself and being like, I am whole, I like built like this massive wall, um, like this like fiercely independent woman, you know, who can do it all on her own. And so now like the work is like letting that wall down to let someone else in um, and to receive love. Like it's, and like knowing that that love is like not the same love that it was when I was 18 years old. Um, I, I follow Mark Groves a lot. He works, he does a lot of work on, um, conscious relationship and it's like, you know, like the love that I had with Ian was the total storybook, like head over heels, fall in love, magic butterflies. Like I was 18. It was my first love. And so trying to reconcile that, like that type of love might not even be accessible to me anymore, at least by that standard. Right. So like the work I'm doing is like grieving that 18 year old girl who fell magically in Mm -hmm. love and stepping into who I am now as a 35 year old without mom, like doing it again and trusting that the love that I have for this new guy that I'm dating, it's been about six months is just as significant. And it's, it's hard. And like, I'm, I'm lucky cause we're so open about it. And I tell him like, I'm like, I love you. And I'm also like scared, scared shitless. Cause I don't know. Like, I just don't yes. Like, how do you know, like when you have to choose love, it's so, it's such a different, when you have to choose to open yourself to fall in love, it's such a different feeling than getting swept away in it. But Um, just like you said about, um, I forget what it was earlier. It's, it's not wrong. It's just different. Just different. Right. And it really, it really is very, very different. I'm close in age to you. um, And I went through all of those phases that I am now at in right now in this conversation realizing was grief um of you know I had you know somebody that I really loved then I was single for like six years and you know finding new love again and it doesn't look the same and not comparing um not comparing is so hard (laughs) it's it is incredibly incredibly hard but it is um, it, it's been the best thing that I've done is like not, it, it, there is absolutely no comparison. It's different and it's beautiful and it's, it's okay. <laughs> it totally is. And this is my thing. And I think this is true with anyone. Um, cause they were, I had a question on TikTok, which I thought was such a great question. And she was like, well, how do you change your mindset? And I was like, oh, I love that. And I think it's kind of similar because like, I can say to myself, this love is going to be different and that's okay. It doesn't make it bad. Like consciously I can say that and then embody, but embodying that is like totally different. And I think it's the same thing with like the concept of grief as love or some of these things we tell ourselves. But I do believe that, you know, you start with the intention, you write it down, like different is not bad. Grief is love. I am enough. And you might not believe it, but with time and by just seeing it every day, like eventually I believe that you live into it and you do fully embody it. Um, other, and so it might not feel quite, quite true to begin with, but like we get there and that's how we change. That's like the neuroplasticity of our brain and like changing all this stuff about ourselves, which I think is so cool. Like, it how cool is. is that? It's really, really cool. And not only that, but one of the best things that, that you said um, that I really think is, is you doing it more than you think you are is that you are able to be honest and articulated to your yes. partner. Um, that is the most mature um, and best way to move through these kinds of things. And it it works. And you will eventually just, it will just be 
Yeah. I love, oh, I love that advice, Jamie. And like every time we have a conversation like this, where, um, one second, Izzy, where like last night we had a conversation about like desire and like how that feels for us now. And I was afterward, like, I kind of got like defensive, but then this morning I was like, man, that really turned me on. Like, that was great. <laughs> to be that vulnerable and to like be able to hold space for someone, for each other. And like, we're like, both of us are just confused and yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing too. Just because, uh, yeah, like what Jamie said, I f- I feel like when you have a relationship that can handle and have those conversations and and have that awareness, like I feel like you're so much better off to be successful and to be like a solid relationship because you have to deal with those things that are gonna obviously come up, you know. And it's it's it is it. different though, because like everyone's like, well, how's your relationship? And I'm like it's great, but I'm like, it's like so different. It just feels so different. Whereas before I'd be like, oh my God, like it's so amazing. I'm just like, yeah, just learning to trust in the difference and yeah. Yeah, and the person that is going to respond negatively to that is is just somebody that isn't ready. Yeah. And that's something I really learned. Yeah, I love that, Jamie. And I feel that more than ever. And like, I'll have widows reach out to me and they're like, well, I don't know if I should tell them I'm a widow because, or if I should talk about um, my husband's death. Um, and I'm like, I, I, I see you and I feel you. And like, it's up to you to be the, to control that narrative. Like you own your story. And if someone else can't handle you, then they're not right. Like let's step into our power and not be, not make ourselves a victim or make someone feel uncomfortable. Like I I find in the grief community too, like people won't talk to you about your dead person. And often it has to be like one of us who's like, yeah, my husband, Ian, he would be love surfing. Like, oh yeah. Like you know, he was a huge Broncos fan. And then they're like, oh yeah. Like, and it's, it's like an invitation to just open up and share. And so if we can feel confident enough and empowered to just be like, yeah, let's talk about death. Let's talk about whatever. But like, we have to be the ones to kind of begin that. Cause I don't think other people, most people who haven't been through some sort of loss or major life trauma, like it's, it's, it's so taboo to, to, yes. to talk about it. And they, and I, and they don't want to upset you. And I get that, but it's like, you're actually helping me. You're giving me space to process something hard or to normalize something that I'm going through so that I feel less alone. One thing though, and I think that's the beauty of our generation is that we are so self-aware about our mental health and how we, how we confront things. Um, I mean, granted, we, we stumble along the way, but we still like, we're very head on, head on with it. My grandma who just lost love of her life you know i i went and saw her the day he passed away i was down there to see him because i knew he was going to go soon he wasn't awake but i stayed in the room with him for like an hour and a half talked to family and then i left and went to go see my grandma and she was at their house and i was like grandma um i was like have you been up there to see him lately she's like no i don't go i'm like what do you mean she's like well i don't want to catch anything because he was at assisted living but she's like i also don't want to see him like that and like, uh, I don't judge her for that by any means. That was how her process, but I felt bad because like, that's, you know, that's how she deals with it, you know, and it probably wasn't the healthiest way, you know, and now obviously she's gone and she gets to be with him, you know, uh, again. Um, but yeah, I mean, and she didn't even want to do a funeral for him. They wanted, they did a cremation. And so my aunts and uncles who lived out of state, who had, you know, drove up after he had passed, they didn't get the closure um, they needed. And that's, that's a really hard thing to think about too, you know? And, and for me, like I was trying to, like, I was calling my aunts, like, Hey, how are you doing? You know, and trying to share my insights on grief. Not that I'm even remotely qualified to be that person, but like, here's what I learned about grief, you know, and here's what I think, you know, and don't be afraid to feel what you need to feel. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what'd she say? No, Corey. <laughs> well, my, my one aunt is, um, she's closer to my age than my, my, my dad is. Um, but you know, she's like, I'm avoiding it right now. I said, I said, well, that's, you know, you, you you can avoid it for now if you need to, because she hit my grandma hadn't passed at that point. But I was like, listen, at some point it's going to hit you really hard. So if you can, you know, like it, it might come in a wave, if you can take it, you know, and just 
cry it out feel it you know it, it sucks it's sad it's it's yeah. it has to feel bad because uh, you know it, i mean part of the pain is part of the process exactly Absolutely. you know and if if we could bypass the pain it would it would negate the like the andrew garfield quote it would negate you know the the meaning they have in our hearts exactly you know? and, and the whole point of grief and we said this on another episode is that it's not to to get to a destination of we're done with this grief because then that person that you know is they're kind of lost in in the, the the world you know but it's how can i rearrange them in my life with this new circumstance how can i still receive their love can still learn from them you know can still uh share some connection with them you know uh, how do i do that and and yeah. the way i'd like to talk about it is like through integration like healing is integration and yes. you know when you're when you first have someone dies and you're like okay i'm here and you kind of have your kind of there's like the task of honoring the life that was and honoring the life that is. And so there's this duality of grieving fully and living fully. And you kind of oscillate like between the two. And in the early months, years of a loss, you might be living more in this world of grief, the land that what the world that was. And then slowly with time, you kind of figure out, okay, how can I continue to live and to move forward and to connect with my loved one um, through whether it be like prayer, lighting a candle at night, um, talking to them, playing a song that reminds me of them. How do I talk about them? Keep their spirit alive. Maybe it's starting a business in honor of them, like move through or a foundation right and slowly with time like they really become a part of everything that you do like Ian is so here with me just Mm -hmm. by me showing up on this podcast I wouldn't be here today had he not died and had he not been the person that he was had he not had that influence on my life so I absolutely agree with that and to your point on just like different generations and um, how they handle grief. I think this can be a major point of contention. Um, I talk about it a lot in my grief groups because when someone dies again, we are looking for external validation of, am I doing this right? And what's hard is that everyone is affected by the loss. You think you're the only one who's affected because the grief is so big, but you forget that like, I lost my husband, my mother-in-law lost her son. You know, someone else lost their brother. And so, and we're all grieving differently. And like my dad was like, Em, you need to like suck it up and take care of your kids. And I was like, whoa. So recognizing that he comes from an entire different generation and belief system around grief and struggle and hardship and death. And then what my beliefs are and trying to educate him kind of on like why he's feeling that way and why I'm feeling this way. And, and it really takes a lot of communication and self-awareness and I did get my parents to take the Enneagram test. So (laughs) one, one thing I love doing, um, and this podcast has really helped me with this process, but when I, I know somebody uh, has lost someone one of the first things I always say, besides, I'm sorry for your loss or, you know, whatever the, the, you know, the, the, the starting conversation answer is I say, can you tell me one of your favorite stories about them? Aww. And, um, one of our podcast guests, I was on a TikTok live and I was like, can you tell me stories about the person you lost? And she was getting emotional before that, but then she lit up and smiled and was telling silly stories about them. Yeah. I was at a funeral of a friend who passed away really unexpectedly her widow 10 minutes earlier was crying, you know, trying to give this speech. And then we started talking about his favorite memories of her and he's laughing at himself and how, what, what a dork he was their first date and how like she just shrugged him off and um, just like little stuff like that. Um, I know it's hard to, to get to that barrier, even like somebody who's, you know, tr- how do you approach somebody who's grieving? But for me, like, I love talking about the people I I lost because um, my my son, he's four and a half, never got to know his grandmother. And I can tell him all the funny stories. My brother and sister every year, anytime we're together, really, we make jokes about mom, we tell stories, you know, and uh, it's great. And it it really does keep that that connection alive. I I totally agree. Couldn't agree more. So um, as we start to wrap up here, we, we do this thing on the podcast that I, that's one of my favorite things. Um, we ask uh, our guests to finish the sentence, um, grief is. So if you were going to finish that, it can be one word, it can be multiple, but how would you finish the sentence, grief is? Love with nowhere to go. 
I love that so much. That's so good. Um, thank you so much. That's, that's, I think the first time we've heard that one. So I think uh, it's somewhere. I don't want to take that because I definitely read it. I'm well, not, I, I, I haven't heard it. So. I'm not that good. I just don't know where it came from. <laughs> so what, so what do you have going on now? So obviously you're going to keep going with move through green. Yeah, and- I have, um, I'm launching, I just launched a program today that focuses on, or that's starting tomorrow on movement, how to embody your emotions through movement. Um, and then I have another 12 week program coming up in March. That's for, it's a widow's only group. It's, it's the one where I have them take the Enneagram test and I actually bring in my coach who supported me. Um, and we look at our core values and kind of, you know, design like a vision for our life moving forward. Um, and then I'm working on a retreat. I want to do a retreat this summer. And then I'm starting, I'm going to try to launch one new program um, in the fall that's really focused more on probably widows, or it's really for anyone who's gone through um, a type of loss, any type of loss, and I'm calling it the reclamation through grief. And it's um, really looking at the five areas of post-traumatic growth, spirituality, personal strength, resilience, um, relationships, new perspective on life and just like it's just this awakening that I think that grief can or these hard events can really wake us up to and kind of where I'm at in my grief journey I'm going to bring in speakers and my therapist and um I it's still not like I'm still in the creation phase but I'm excited for it and then hopefully a book trying to write my book (laughs) it's it's so amazing um just to see everything you're doing and not only to see somebody who's I'll say self-actualized for lack of better words. I know you probably deny it if I say that, <laughs> but I mean, um, somebody who's self-actualized enough to actually create a space and a process and all these things for people to come in and to meet them where they are with their grief and then to help them support them and then hopefully help them move along in that process. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Yeah. It's, a um, process, it's, it's amazing, but-, but thank you so much for being here today, Emily. You are just um you're just as lovely as I thought you'd be on this podcast and so insightful and um so thank you for being here yeah thank you for having me it's been it's been really fun and (laughs) everyone who's tuning in today thank you so much for being here Jamie had to skedaddle a little early but that's okay um and we'll talk to you next time cool thank you Corey 